Well, good morning again. Good to see everybody. Grab a seat. Everybody enjoy the rain last evening? Our neighbors had uh, thrown a, uh, well, let's see, during the day we had, first, even before we get to that, we had a youth group picnic yesterday, but thankfully the picnic was scheduled prior to the rain, so it didn't get washed out, which was good, but our neighbors had uh, organized a surprise 40th birthday party on their front lawn for uh, the, the, uh, the neighbor's husband there, and uh, part of it they had good weather, and then the other part turned into a pool party, effectively. Uh, I noticed none of the kids in the neighborhood that were invited uh, went inside. They were all running around outside, and everybody else tried to take shelter and tried to take cover, but it was entertaining. Um, Thankfully, all our mulch did not wash away. I was grateful for that. Um, Today is Mother's Day. Moms, ladies, happy Mother's Day. Those of you that are, have been born, happy Mother's Day, right? You know, when, when we look at a day like this, um, it, it's interesting because when you get to some of these holidays like Mother's Day and Father's Day and, and uh, things like that, uh, for various reasons, these days are equally celebratory in many respects. And for some people, they would say, no, those are kind of hard days for me. And if you ask why, you might get answers like, well, it reminds me that I miss my mother, right? Um, Or maybe, you know, I didn't really have the kind of relationship with my mother that I would like to have. Uh, Or it may be one of those things where it's like, you know, I I don't have children, so I don't see what I should be celebrating on a day like today. And so there's, there's all sorts of things that I hear like that. And then on the other side of it, I hear some very celebratory comments. And one of the things that I think a day like today gives us an excellent opportunity to do is to take a look at what Scripture talks about in regard to godliness, particularly by looking at an example of a very godly woman who used her life to point others to Jesus Christ. Now, at the end of your days, at the end of my days, when I look back over the course of my life, uh, it, you know, if the Lord, if His assessment of my life is that my life was used to point others to Him, I I believe that will be a life well used. And if your life is used to point others to Jesus Christ, that will be a life well used. And in the portion of Scripture we're looking at today, we're going to be looking at a woman named Priscilla. And Priscilla was a woman who used her life to point others to Jesus Christ. Now, last year on Father's Day, I talked about the kind of uh, guy that you would want your daughters to marry. And today I want to talk about the kind of woman that I hope my daughters become and my sons marry. And uh, if you would, take your Bibles and open up to Acts chapter 18. I'm going to be jumping around a little bit in Acts chapter 18. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4, then we're going to jump right down to verse 18, and then we're going to jump to verses 24 through 26. And uh, each of these sections here reference something about Priscilla. And again, you'll see multiple ways that the Lord used her to help others gain a, a, a greater glimpse of who Jesus Christ truly is. So Acts chapter 18, starting with verse 1, this is what it states. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, 
because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. After this, Paul stayed, so this is verse 18 now. After this, Paul stayed many days longer, and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centria, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And then jump down to verse 24, it says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for the privilege that it is for us to be able to gather together today and study it together and meditate on its content. Thank you, Lord, for giving us uh, just such easy access to your word. Lord, we know we don't deserve that, the privilege that you've given to us to be able to uh, just freely access your word, because we know, Lord, that there are many believers throughout this world that don't have that unlimited access to your word that we have. But Lord, we're grateful for it, and we're grateful that you use the teaching of your word to point us to your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, there's a variety of ways that you do that, and one of the ways that you do that is by showing us direct examples of lives of people that you transformed, and people that you used to invest the message of your gospel in the lives of others. And so, Lord, as we look at this portion of Scripture, we see several people in Acts chapter 18 that are brought up, but one that catches our attention today on Mother's Day is Priscilla. And so, Lord, we pray that as we look at some of the traits of godliness that are displayed in her life, that we would understand that these are things that you give us the privilege to exemplify as you work in us and through us by the power of your Holy Spirit so that our lives could also be used to point others to you. We're grateful, Lord, for the privilege to look at this now, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you become a parent, a curious thing takes place in your life. You begin to think about yourself less And a large percentage of your time and your emotional energy becomes invested in the care and in the well-being of your children. It's a healthy but a very difficult process to endure because also along the way you go from being their hero who can fix everything and who can do no wrong to being the target of, I would say, a decent amount of complaints and critiques And then somewhere along the way, however, I'm told that your kids start liking you again, particularly once they start to have children of their own. So we'll see if that pattern comes to pass, but the way that some of you are looking at your parents, that may be true. Okay, so some of you gave me visual confirmation of that fact. By the way, and I won't say who this was, uh, they may be in the sanctuary now or they might be downstairs helping out. I think they're downstairs helping out, so I'll get away with saying this. But I watched a child give their mother a headbutt this morning. It's Mother's Day, and I watched a child go like this, and accidentally, it was not on purpose, uh, accidentally headbutt their mother today on Mother's Day. She should note that for a later time and say, you know what I put up from you, or you know, from you what you gave to me on Mother's Day when you were little? Um, 
But yeah, there's a transition that takes place mentally in the process of raising children. And my kids can uh, confirm that this is something we've talked about a bunch of times, but I regularly tell them that I'm praying for them. And the truth is, there is not a single day of their lives that I haven't prayed for them, not because I'm being forced to, but because the Lord compels my heart to do so. The Lord's blessed my wife and I with two daughters and two sons, and we frequently seem to be praying about three specific things for them, their spiritual growth, their physical safety, and their future marriages. Those seem to be the big three. You know, there's other things we pray for as well, but their, their spiritual growth, their physical safety, their future marriages, those are the biggies that tend to come up along the way. And on this journey, we're also trying to do the best that we can to impart biblical wisdom to them in the hopes that they receive it and then adopt it as their own. And when I look at Scripture, particularly a chapter like we're looking at today, we can see many examples all throughout Scripture of people who trusted in Jesus Christ and who used their lives to serve the Lord and to worship Him. And many of the examples that Scripture is very intentional about giving us are godly women. And these are godly women that we would all do well to learn from. And one example that I mentioned a few moments ago that we're looking at today is this woman named Priscilla. And Priscilla was part of the early church. Priscilla was someone who partnered along with her husband, Aquila, uh, to, to serve along with the Apostle Paul and his church planting ministry. And in the example that the Lord gives to us of, of Priscilla... I see the kind of woman that I pray that my daughters will copy. I see the kind of woman that I pray that my sons will one day marry. And when we look here at the book of uh, Acts, chapter 18, there's a couple things I want to point out to us today that this portion, portion of Scripture illustrates about Priscilla's life, but really this is the fruit of the Holy Spirit working within her heart. This is the fruit of her trust in Jesus Christ And this is how that faith was being borne out in her day-to-day life as a blessing to others who surrounded her. And one of the things that we can see in this portion of Scripture related to her and how the Lord was using her is that she showed hospitality for the sake of the gospel. Let me reread the first few verses that we looked at today. In verse 1 and the verses following, it says this. It says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. Because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now, let me pause there. If you were going to plant a church, if you felt like the Lord was calling you to plant a church, where do you think you would go to do that? Just think for a second. Where do you think you would go? I remember years ago, this is a little over 20 years ago, I knew a man who said he was called into pastoral ministry. And when he was asked about where he felt he was called to serve, he said he wasn't 100% certain, but he stressed that he only felt led to go where the pay would be excellent, the benefits would be plentiful, and his life would be cushy. Now, he didn't directly use the word cushy. That's my description of all the things that he described. But I remember looking at that, and I remember thinking, I'm pretty certain that that's not the the earthly course that God says, hey, pursue these worldly things as your main goal. And in fact, when you look at what Scripture tells us about the Apostle Paul, we see a very different mindset from that in his ministry. 
if you wanted to experience a challenging context in which to do ministry, Corinth was the type of city that would give that to you. It was, it was a city that, you know, Paul was now seeking to, to teach people the gospel in. It was a city that was known for its rampant immorality. It was a city that was known for its idolatry. It was also a place where a lot of people grew very wealthy through trade. And it was also a city that was filled with prostitution. In fact, more than a thousand prostitutes would descend upon that city every evening trying to raise funds for their goddess temple right there in Corinth. That was the type of culture that Paul was trying to do ministry in. And at the time, in other places other than Corinth, if someone called you a Corinthian, typically what they meant by that was not a compliment, but actually an insult, or at least a commentary on the fact that they considered you an immoral person. So if someone called you a Corinthian, they were trying to imply you're not a very moral person. And that's where Paul chose to spend a year and a half preaching and teaching the gospel. And the scripture tells us that while he was there, he met a married couple named Aquila and Priscilla. And the scripture also tells us that just like the apostle Paul did, they supported themselves by selling and making tents. So they would make these tents, they would sell these tents. As they met together with the apostle Paul, they decided to actually partner together in this labor. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla were also believers in Jesus Christ. And as they partnered together with Paul in selling tents, they also offered him the privilege to be able to stay with them for a time while he was living there in the city. Now, I'll point that out to us today because that was an important way that believers of that era would particularly uh, help traveling speakers when they would come to a community to proclaim the gospel. They would offer them a place to stay. They would offer them food to eat. They would show them hospitality. In our day and age, we're used to the fact that just about any city or town you go to, there's a hotel chain, and you can find, you know, it's like, oh, I don't know, that, that, that's like a two-star hotel chain, right? That one's three-star, which, well, we can't afford that. All right, we'll settle for the two-star, but I'm not staying at a one-star, right? You know, and we have like this whole system of, of all these places that, you know, we know like those are good hotels, those are bad hotels. You go to this place, you know, you go to Corinth, you go to places like that during that time, there aren't chain hotels or things like that that make accommodation quite easy. And so when a, a speaker was going place to place preaching the gospel, one of the things he was highly dependent on was whether or not believers who were already in that city would show him some hospitality. And so here in this context, we have Priscilla and Aquila looking at the Apostle Paul and saying, all right, we're going to give him a place to stay. We're going to show him um, you know, places in the city where he could do some ministry. We're going to give him food to eat. It actually reminds me of what Scripture tells us in 1 Peter 4, 9. But there we're told, and this isn't a suggestion, right? This is something that the Apostle Peter, as he's speaking to the early church, he tells them directly as a form of, of counsel, as a form of, of, of command, in, in fact. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. He's like, look, don't complain about it. Don't whine about it. Just do it. Show hospitality to one another. In fact, as believers in Jesus Christ, this should be one of the things that we are very intent to do. My wife and I have noticed, uh, even in our neighborhood, one of the greatest ways that we have had the opportunity to share the message of the gospel with people in our neighborhood that are of different faiths or of no faith at all is simply to enjoy a meal together around our dining room table and enjoy some conversation. And hospitality goes a long way to being able to create an opportunity to be able to share the message of the gospel. And here you could see, in this particular context, Aquila and Priscilla were willing to do it. But showing hospitality is not always an easy thing to do. 
If you've ever tried to do it, you recognize that it's not an easy task. Anyone here ever work in food service as a waiter or a waitress or, or anything like that? Yeah. Um, so when you're doing that, or anyone here ever, you know, uh, uh, been involved in housekeeping? Are, would you say that those are um, sometimes challenging tasks? You know, those are not easy tasks to do. It's much easier to talk about showing hospitality than to be directly involved in participating with being hospitable. It can be tolerable for a short period of time, but when it stretches out, it starts to grow increasingly more difficult, even if you're showing hospitality to people you like. And I'm sure that it was a time, or it was a challenging time at, at times, for Priscilla to be willing to open up her house to the Apostle Paul for a long period of time, in fact, for a year and a half. What if you had company show up and be like, hey, what's happening? It's like, nothing. Um, I'm going to be hanging out with you for about a year and a half. What do you think? Some people would probably be like, yeah, absolutely. And then sometimes there are certain people I'd be like, could it be like an hour and a half, an hour and a half, not a year and a half, an hour and a half. How about half an hour? How about a minute and a half? Um, And the Apostle Paul, when you look at his writing and things like that, he was an opinionated guy, was he not? Do you ever hang out? Do you ever? I'm an opinionated guy, so I, I don't answer this, I guess. But are there opinionated people in your life that sometimes you just really don't feel like hearing today? <laughs> like I, I have a few people in my life that I'm like, wow, they're as opinionated as I am. I wonder if other people feel toward me how I feel toward them. So the Apostle Paul, he's living with them for a year and a half. He's kind of an opinionated guy. And yet they show him hospitality that whole time. That can't be easy. But Priscilla allowed that to take place in her home for the sake of the gospel. As a woman who loved Jesus Christ and wanted to contribute to the efforts to make Christ known to others, she showed hospitality for the sake of the gospel. Now look at what else the scripture tells us. Gives us a little, you know, some interesting tidbits about Priscilla that I think are fascinating. It's a, it reveals to us she wasn't afraid to work with her hands. Let me reread verses 3 and 4. It says, And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Let me pause there. When I was growing up, uh, I was blessed with... Uh, a wonderful extended family. And I had two grandmothers that I adored, and I'm going to reference both of them this morning. But uh, my mother's mother, Ruby Huffman, um, she passed away just a few years ago. She lived in uh, into her mid-90s. And uh, I was amazed by her growing up because early on I noticed that um, there were a few unique things about her hands that kind of fascinated me. One of the early things I I began observing would be after dinner, we would spend most of our summer at her house when we were kids. And uh, after dinner, she would wash dishes, and she would wash them in very hot water. And I would watch the steam coming from the sink and kind of billow there through the, the kitchen and watch her run her hands under that as she's washing it and thinking, like, how was she able to do that? And I'd try and like put my hand under it for a second. I couldn't keep my hand there. I was like, Nana, how do you keep your hand on it? She's like, I don't know. I just, 
used to it. For so many years, washing dishes for her family, she didn't have a dishwasher. She just didn't feel it anymore. It just didn't seem to bother her. Her hands grew used to the water temperature. It fascinated me as a young kid. Her hands were also strong. And I also noticed something else about her hands. She had no discernible fingerprints. And I was like, how do you have no discernible fingerprints? Now, thankfully, she didn't resort to a life of crime, right? Because she would have been able to get away with it. Like, there's no, there's no fingerprints, and she doesn't have to, have to wear gloves, right? But she also worked in a boot and shoe factory in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. So in addition to what she was doing at home, she also worked in that factory making boots, making shoes, and she did that for years. And I guess over time, the labor that she put into that, it wore the fingerprints right off her fingers. That's my guess. I'm assuming it had to do with the, the kind of work that she did there. And I, it just kind of impressed me. So her hands were strong. Her hands could tolerate really hot temperatures. And she had no fingerprints because she had used her hands up. I wonder when I look at a portion of Scripture like what we're looking at today, what Priscilla's hands looked like. I wonder what her hands looked like. You know, were her hands strong? Probably. I would guess they were. She probably beat some of us in mercy. Maybe. I don't know. We'll have to find out someday, right? I wonder if her hands were calloused. You know, did she have discernible fingerprints or did she wear them off? You know, and just looking at her hands, could you figure out that she was a tent maker? And I wonder if just like looking at the way her hands were, were calloused or where, you know, they, they had rough spots or smooth spots or whatever it may be, could you figure out how she made her living just by looking at her hands? And I point that out because this scripture tells us that Priscilla worked with Aquila and Paul making tents. It doesn't just indicate that Aquila was the tent maker, right? We're told that as a couple, they made these tents together. They did this together. And I think this is useful to notice because it's clear that Priscilla wasn't the type of personality that just fluttered around like she was a princess, like serving others or, or helping others was somehow beneath her. She was not afraid to work with her hands. It wasn't beneath her dignity to engage in manual labor. And I believe that, that she displayed an example or a mindset that godly women of every era would do well to notice. Families benefit from this kind of mindset. The local church benefits from this kind of mindset. Priscilla was a true partner who was fully invested in the ministry that was entrusted to her, and she was not afraid to work with her hands to get the job done. I admire that about her. Something else that we could see about uh, how the Lord used her life and the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work within her is that she was willing to go where the Lord directed her. Look at verse 18. It says this, after, after this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centria, he, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. When I was in high school and college, I could sense at that period of time that the Lord was calling me to serve in pastoral ministry, but I had some objections that took me a few years to work through before I was willing to agree to that calling. And one of the, the big objections I had was the thought of moving. I didn't like the idea of moving. Uh, from what I saw, pastors seemed to move a lot. I, I knew some pastors that seemed like they moved every three years. And I didn't like that idea. I moved tons of times when I was growing up. I think once I tried to count it, and uh, I think I moved 12 times between, you know, just while I was growing up, before I was 17. 
and I was tired of it. I didn't want to move anymore. And I thought, you know what, if I've, whatever I'm doing as an adult, I don't want to repeat that pattern. And, and thankfully, since becoming a pastor, I'm grateful that we have not moved frequently. We moved a couple times, but not too much. And it actually occurred to me earlier this past week that I think today marks 10 years uh, since the first time I had the privilege to preach here. Before we moved to Langhorn, our family used to drive down here on Sunday mornings from the Poconos. And I, the first memory I have of doing that, I know it was in May, and I think it was Mother's Day of 2008. And I just was thinking about that. I was like, wow, how quickly a 10-year span goes. It's like the snap of a finger. 10 years. And it, it, and, but I, I'm grateful that by God, you know, the Lord allowed me and has allowed our family to stay put. I don't have the desire to move around a whole bunch. But when you look at the Apostle Paul's ministry, his ministry had this, this aspect of traveling that was a very regular pattern of what he was called to do. And so as the Holy Spirit would direct the Apostle Paul, he would travel to different cities throughout Europe and throughout Asia, preaching the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And he would try and help people in all these different cities and communities. He would try to go to centers of influence to try and preach the gospel there with the intent that the gospel would then spread from these cities into the rural areas and different places like that. And he would travel to all these different cities throughout Europe, throughout Asia, preaching the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And as Priscilla and Aquila partnered together with the Apostle Paul in ministry, this portion of Scripture also displays a willingness on their part to go where the Lord was directing them to go. When the Lord directed them to go in a direction, they didn't come up with excuses. They didn't come up with, you know, Lord, that interrupts my desire for comfort. They went where the Lord called them to go. Now, what I'm about to say next, uh, I believe is true, but I also recognize, and I'll even say this before I say before I tell you what it is, that anytime you make a general statement, you know, so anytime I make a general statement from the pulpit related to differences between men and women, I know that I am running the risk of displeasing somebody, all right? So I'm going to make one of those general statements, uh, but I think it's more than opinion, although you're welcome to disagree with me if you think I'm stereotyping or, or something like that. I don't actually mean to be stereotyping. But I will run that risk. So you didn't know there was going to be some danger involved when you came to church today. But there is. And if I'm saying something wrong, hopefully you saved some snacks from the food bar that you can throw at me. All right? But this is my opinion, and you can agree or disagree if you, if you think this is off base. But I believe that there are patterns that, are, that exist between uh, men and women or differences between men and women that tend to be, for the most part, Maybe not 100% of the time the case, but for the most part, they seem, at least to me, to be consistent. And in counseling couples, so in doing premarital counseling or even counseling after couples are married, one of the things that I have learned about women from their own words is that they very much appreciate the concepts of safety and security. Meaning, um, and I've heard this said multiple times, moving to a new area challenges that feeling of safety and security, or that desire for safety and security. But at the same time, I've also heard many godly women say, listen, if that's what the Lord makes clear that He wants us to do, it's something that I'll do. It challenges my desire for security. It challenges my desire 
for safety, but I'm still willing to do it if that's what the Lord leads me to do. And so when I look at a portion of Scripture like this, I have all those conversations, all those premarital counseling sessions, all those postmarital counseling sessions, all the things, you know, that, I, um, that through the years I've had the privilege to be involved in those conversations. And I have all those discussions going through my mind, and then I look at this portion of Scripture, and it tells us that Priscilla, as the Lord laid upon her heart to go, she and her husband went. She listened to the Lord's direction. She went where the Lord wanted her to go. I don't think, naturally speaking, that's always an easy thing to do for men or women, to be honest with you. And here you have her saying, all right, I mean, she shows it. We don't have the conversation recorded for us. We have her actions recorded for us. The Lord directed, and their family went where the Lord directed. It kind of reminds me of what Jesus said in Acts 1, verse 8, where it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when I look at a statement like that, what was Jesus saying? Was that just a statement for those that were in his original hearing? Or do you think this is something that has application for those that were part of the next generation and the next generation? Is this something that was just for, you know, the early group of disciples? Or do you think those that become disciples of Christ through the centuries have the privilege to experience this sort of blessing or this sort of privilege? I think that this is a statement that applies to us as well, that the Lord has given us power through His Holy Spirit to be His witnesses wherever He sends us. And I believe that there are people that you know, and I believe that there are people that you intend... You thought you bought your house because it was a good price and it had enough bedrooms for your kids. And the Lord looked at it and He's like, yeah, that was secondary. I actually wanted you to meet your neighbors and be a witness of mine for the gospel so that you would live there. You thought you got hired at your job because you're good at what you do. That certainly might be part of it, but in the Lord's economy, I'm pretty sure that He's like, yeah, what I really want you to do is to have lunch with so-and-so because you're going to be my ambassador that tells that man or that woman the message of the gospel, and they're going to see that lived out in your life. Were the Lord's witnesses empowered by him to go out into the entire world sharing the good news of the gospel? And I can't help but believe, and I do believe this, particularly when you look at the lifestyle and the pattern that Priscilla displays, I think this was her mindset. Recognizing, look, we're here for five minutes. Okay, well, how am I going to use my five minutes? Well, I'm going to be a witness of the Lord wherever He sends me. And if He calls me to go here, I'm going to go, and I'm going to witness for Him there. And if He calls me to stay here, I'm going to stay. And I'm going to witness for Him where He calls me to stay. Wherever the Lord places me, whatever door He opens up, whatever direction He prods me to go, I'm going to tell people about Jesus wherever He sends me. I'm convinced that that was the mindset that governed the household of Aquila and Priscilla. And she was a joint partner in that task. And that's illustrated when you look at verses 18, or verse 24 to 26 in chapter 18, because it shows that she joyfully partnered together with her husband. Look at what those verses tell us. In verse 24, it says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside 
and explain to him the way of God more accurately. You know what? One of the greatest joys that I get to experience as the pastor of this church now over the course of the past 10 years, one of my greatest joys is when I have the privilege to see the presence of various ministry teams that work together in various areas of service. When I see people teaming together to accomplish something, great things get done. It's also a great joy when I see that mindset present in the households of our church families, where husband and wife work together as a team glorifying Christ instead of operating in a continual state of independence. And great things are accomplished for Christ's glory in that kind of context. And the scripture reveals to us that after Aquila and Priscilla left Corinth, they settled in the city of Ephesus. And while they were there, they sought fellowship with other believers. And they had the privilege during that period of time to hear a man named Apollos. And Apollos was was speaking about Jesus Christ. He was preaching about Christ. Apparently, from what we see in Scripture, Apollos was a gifted man. Uh, He was very impressive when he would come and speak. He was a very eloquent speaker. And while he taught about Jesus accurately, and he expounded the uh, the Scriptures accurately, there are still a few things that he needed further instruction in. And the impression that we're given is that Apollos may have been delivering a similar message uh, to what the or excuse me, John the Baptist was preaching, and Aquila and Priscilla likely took the time to connect more of the dots for Apollos by helping him to understand the deeper significance of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And again, please notice yet again that this scripture provides another example of Priscilla's desire to partner with her husband. She worked together with him. She traveled together with him. She worshiped together with him. And now in this context, she disciples together with him. So when I look at their marriage, I think without a doubt there was a high degree of love. I think there was a high degree of trust. I think there was a high degree of respect that was present in their marriage relationship. And when you look at what the Scripture reveals to us, she joyfully partners together with her husband to accomplish the ministry that the Lord gave them. And there's one other thing that the Scripture points out that I want us to notice today, and that's this. She looks for opportunities to invest her wisdom in teachable people. Again, look at verses 24 to 26. We just read them, but let me, let me pick up at verse 25. It says of Apollos, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. And it says he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, I I could could just imagine the experience. You know how, like, there are people in your life that you could just kind of look at and they know what you're thinking? Do you imagine as Aquila, or excuse me, as uh, Apollos was speaking, it wouldn't surprise me if um, Aquila and Priscilla kind of looked at each other like, he's really good. You notice what he's missing, right? Okay. Do you think... Do you think he's teachable? I mean, think about this. If he's somebody that others want to come here speak, and the Scripture makes a point to tell us that he's this eloquent speaker, do you think it would be a little bit intimidating for Aquila and Priscilla, these humble tent makers, to pull him aside? I think so. And do you think that it would be a little challenging for someone like Apollos, who people seem to pat on the back a lot and say what a great speaker he is, to listen to this this tent-making couple as they try and counsel him on deeper theology. I imagine there were some challenges there, but they went and they did it together. Now, growing up, 
I mentioned my, my mother's mother, um, Ruby Huffman. My other grandmother, Ruth Stonge, my dad's mom, was one of the wisest women I've ever met. Her father, his name was James Gallup. I never had the privilege to, to meet him, um, but I finally got a picture of him recently. I didn't know what he looked like, and someone found a picture of him and uh, sent it to me, and so now I actually have a picture of my great-grandfather. I, I never knew what he looked like. I always wondered, isn't it funny how you have like a picture in your mind of what someone looks like, and then I got the picture, I was like, he doesn't look anything like what I thought he would look like. But she had a really tight relationship with him, and my grandmother told me that she considered her dad to be a very wise person, and he would invest a lot of his wisdom in her, and she considered it her mission to then invest wisdom into to me and to her grandchildren and to her children, and she was very on-purpose intentional about doing it. And we would try and absorb it because she would also couple that with being one of the most loving people I've ever met. And because she was so loving and so kind and so hospitable, it was just a joy to kind of sit at her feet and learn what she wanted to teach us. And she wasn't, by the way, she was a very little lady, but she was not afraid to be confrontational. Her fingers were very arthritic. They didn't point straight. But if she, point, if she pointed one of those things toward you, you stood up straight. You know, you took your elbows off the table. Um, you, like, I just, I don't know. There was just something in me that if my grandmother said something, I snapped and was like, at attention. And she had three sons. She didn't have any daughters. She had three sons. And all of them looked like giants compared to her when they got older. And if she said one thing to them, they turned into little boys all over again. We're like, yes, mother. I always watched that growing up. I don't know how she had this power. I, honestly, it was like this power of just like being the most loving and wise person that any of us knew. And so you wanted to listen to her counsel. You wanted to listen to her wisdom. And it's funny, there's a lot of things that I notice that I do now, and some of them have just become a pattern that I don't always think about where I learned it from. But if I take a moment and just reflect, why do I do what I do in this kind of context? I realize, no, I do this because my grandmother taught me this. This is wisdom that my grandmother poured into my life, and this is how she taught me to relate to other people. This is how she taught me to re uh, respond to trials like this. This is how she taught me to lead in a context like this. This is how she taught me to relate to my wife. This is how she taught me to speak to children. A lot of the things that I do, I learned from Ruth Stange, who is one of the, the most powerful influences I had in my life growing up. And when I look at Priscilla in this portion of Scripture, I, I recognize that the Lord was using her in powerful ways to be a blessing to people during the era of the early church. And I don't know what her personality was like, but I cannot help but think that I saw a glimpse of that when I would watch how the Lord used my grandmother. And when you look at Priscilla in this portion of Scripture, it seems like she was just intent on being a blessing to others. And when Apollos was speaking and teaching... It seems clear that she and her husband together were like, all right, we can help him. If he's willing to listen, we can help him. We can teach him. We just spent you know, all this time with the Apostle Paul, learning from the Apostle Paul, being taught by the Apostle Paul. We can now invest that teaching directly into Apollos. And Apollos apparently was willing to listen. He was teachable. He was receptive. 
And so think about this council that Priscilla is investing into Apollos. Apollos has this big platform where people are coming to hear him speak about Jesus Christ. And you have Priscilla and Aquila investing into Apollos. And as Apollos is continuing to preach, and as his ministry continues to go on throughout the course of his life, he was now able to give others a more clear and more accurate portrayal of who Christ was, what Christ did, and what Christ continues to do in the lives of those who trust in him, because Priscilla took the time to share with him the wisdom that the Lord had blessed her with. A godly woman takes the time to invest the wisdom that the Lord blesses her with into the lives of others, particularly those who are teachable for Christ's glory. All that to say this, I realize um, my daughters are quickly transitioning into their adult life right in front of our faces. Uh, I want them to glean from Priscilla's example because I believe it's a pattern that they observe in their mother as well. And it's the type of thing that I want them to copy and adopt as their own. I know that a day is going to come before I know it when my sons will be choosing someone to marry. I pray for them every day. And one of the things that I pray for is that they would, pray, that they would marry someone like Priscilla because she was intentional about blessing her husband, blessing others, and living a life of faith that brought Christ glory. When you looked at Priscilla's life, you were given a glimpse of the presence of Christ. And if I'm one day blessed with daughters-in-law like that, I will be quite grateful. But again, when we look at a portion of Scripture like this, today on Mother's Day, I want us to use this as a teachable moment, as a teachable example that I believe the Lord's given to us intentionally so that we would glean from it. One of the ways that He teaches us about what He does in your life and my life is by giving us glimpses of people that He worked in before us. And in Priscilla, we see that the Lord fostered a variety of things, but He taught her to show hospitality for the sake of the gospel. Taught her the value of working with her hands to bless others. He taught her the, the value of listening and going in the direction that He would prompt her to go. He encouraged her to joyfully partner together with her husband and to look for opportunities to invest the wisdom that he had blessed her with into teachable people. For Christ's glory, if our lives are used in that kind of way to point others to Jesus Christ, that would be a great way for us to use our lives as well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege on this Mother's Day for us to be able to just look at an example that you've given to us in your word. And again, Lord, there are a lot of examples you give in your, in your word. And, and you, you also make it clear to us that it's obvious that Priscilla wasn't perfect. She was a person just like we are. She had her struggles. She had her difficulties. She had her up moments and her down moments. But it is clear that she submitted her life over to your lordship, that you were lord of her life that she trusted in you, Jesus. And in the brief time that she was blessed to serve you on this earth, she made the most of it. Lord, help us to recognize that our lives are given to us as a gift. They are not about us. They are for your glory that they're to be lived out. And so as we have the privilege to bless our families, as we have the privilege to honor those that have come before us, as we have the privilege to teach those who come after us. We pray that we, would all, that we would do so with the intent 
to point their lives to you. That that's how our lives would be pointed, or that that that's how our lives ultimately, Lord, would be invested. Lord, we're not perfect. We very much need you. And Lord, any of the things that we see you doing in the life of Priscilla or really anyone else, these are things that we can't rely on our own strength to accomplish. Lord, just as you promised that you would give your disciples power through your Holy Spirit to be your witnesses throughout this world, Lord, we recognize that we need that power to even do simple things. So Lord, we're grateful that through faith in you, Jesus, that you enable us to do anything that you call us to do. Lord, thank you for the places that you intentionally place us and the relationships that you intentionally give us, the people that we sometimes think we're meeting by chance. And then later on, we'll discover that that was very much your intention that we meet the people that we've met and that we represent you to them. Lord, help us to make the most of every opportunity that you bless us with. And again, Lord, today we just thank you for godly women who give us an example of love, who give us an example of wisdom, who show us what it's like to love you and to pour that love out into the lives of those that surround them. Help us, Lord, to profit from that example and help us to put these things into practice in our own day-to-day lives for your glory. We thank you for our mothers. We thank you for our grandmothers. We thank you for our children. We thank you, Lord, for anyone that's even taken the time to notice us or be kind to us throughout the course of our lives. Again, Lord, we pray that we would glorify your name and how we represent you to everyone that we know. And we thank you for examples that show us a glimpse of how this should be done. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So our ushers come up. I just want to point out in the center of our bulletin, We have a variety of things, but one of the things we have here is an opportunity for you to tell us if there's a way that we could be praying for you during the course of this week. One of the requests, and I'll keep this anonymous, but one of the requests that we received over the course of the past couple weeks through our communication cards uh, is for a man that's dealing with colon cancer. So if you could pray, just for, I'm not going to give you his name, but if you could pray for a man that is dealing with colon cancer right now, his family is asking that we be praying for him and and so I want to bring that before you. But if, if you have a need that you'd like us to be praying for during the course of the week, please note that on there. You could place that either in the offering plates as they come around or in the donation box that's right there at the back of the room.